Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bacor. This is episode 19, recorded on January 21st, 2021. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EV Rev Show. All right, good day. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. My name is Kenneth Bacor, your host for this episode. Thanks everybody again for taking the time. I hope you're all safe out there. Continue to follow public health guidelines, please. We will get through this. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I've got a great show today. You know, folks, that I always bring in smart people, right? That's my uh, modus operandi here that I I work with. Well, I've got a a gentleman that's going to just blow your mind when it comes to the supply chain aspect of EVs, uh, of of battery cells, and and everything around that that I don't talk a lot about because I'm not that smart. But this gentleman is. I'm going to introduce Josh Goldman. Now, he's only got a PhD. Uh, I'm not sure what he's going to tell us. Does that mean he's smart? Absolutely. He's CTO of Cobalt Cobalt Metals. How are you, Josh? Very well. Thanks for having me here, Ken. You're quite welcome. Thanks for joining me. Now, you've got a doctorate in atomic physics from Harvard and a master's in applied mathematics from Cambridge, just because I guess you got bored of atomic physics. (laughs) Is that what happened there? Uh, the atomic physics came second, actually. Oh, came second. My doctoral work was on quantum computing, but wow. Google is not, at least at present, using any quantum computing. I make, I don't make that. Nice, nice. So my brain's already starting to hurt, and we're a minute and a half into the show, but that's okay. It's all good. I, I really appreciate you taking the the time out. Now, um, I, you know, prior to 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 connecting, I hadn't really um, heard of cobalt metals before, but certainly. You know, we do need to look at now with with, you know, my my listeners and viewers know the growth of the EV marketplace. They know that a lot of countries and OEMs and manufacturers are all getting on board big time. There is a big movement now to rewards electrification. But, you know, how are we going to power that EV revolution? Right. That's certainly something that we need to start thinking about. Um Elon kind of talked about, you know, a bit of it on his battery day where he tried to lay out a little bit of some of the concerns, but um, certainly something we need to talk about. And that's where you guys come in. Can you tell me a little bit more about cobalt metals? Thanks, Ken. So we are an exploration company Mm -hmm. looking to discover new sources of the critical materials that we need for all these electric vehicles. If you think about the raw material requirements for electrifying the light-duty vehicle sector. To electrify the whole fleet, which I hope we're able to do by 2050, the demands for raw materials are just extraordinary. Yes. We need more than $4 trillion worth of nickel, cobalt, lithium, copper in the vehicles. And those are materials that are not currently in circulation. These are new resources that we're going to have to bring on stream. Exactly. There mm-hmm. are... In some cases, that we can produce those from existing mines, but we're going to need dozens of new mines in order to have enough raw materials actually to manufacture those electric vehicles. 
And it's not the case that we just know where all those resources are <laughs> and we can start mining them once there's demand for it. We have to go out and make discoveries of new ore deposits. And we have to we have to produce them in a responsible, ethical way. Yes. And that's a, a that's a really challenging problem. I mean, what is what is an ore deposit? An ore deposit is a, an unusually high concentration of metals in the Earth's crust. Mm -hmm. It's buried under the ground. It's difficult to see, and it may be located in some quite remote place. And so, we the, the mission of Cobalt is to make discoveries of those ore deposits that have those critical materials for EVs, and responsibly bring those ore deposits towards production. Excellent. Well, you know, I love the wording that you've expressed of responsibility and, and being ethical, because those are all, of course, top of mind with many uh, of, the, of the countries that are involved in, in resourcing and in the electric vehicle revolution. So I'm, I'm glad that you're pointing that out. So I've got a few questions that I figured we'll, talk, we'll, we'll start the conversation with, and then we'll see how it goes um, to make sure that we get all, all the pertinent points and information out to people. I mean, you know, we know that it's important, as you specifically mentioned, to bring mining into the digital age. And we're going to talk about how you guys are doing that because there's so much technology out there um, that it is mind-boggling, which continues to advance. You know, some of the folks may know, I, I, I mean, I have an IT background from a sales and I'm constantly having to be in education mode because it's always changing. It's a dynamic field. So when we look at the EV, the big thing we hear a lot about is cobalt, as you mentioned. So when we look at the EV industry's reliance on cobalt, I still think of it, and I think most people view that as a challenge. It's it's expensive. Um, it does create, as right now, that I can see ethical problems due to mining conditions because it's it's only coming from a couple of sources, one of them, one of them being the DRC. Uh, how does cobalt uh, address these major issues? What do you guys come up with? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of uh, distinct answers there. So there's how we find things, mm -hmm. and that is our entire technology program. That is what is the, the way that we actually guide our exploration decisions is mm -hmm. based on our technology, machine learning, and other scientific computing techniques. And I think we'll, we'll have an opportunity to get into that in some detail. Mm -hmm. um, the role of, of cobalt and, and nickel in particular I think there's a couple of critical issues. The first one is that we really do need the right raw materials for batteries. If you want a battery that's high quality, that means high specific energy, stores a lot of energy per unit mass and, and energy density, a lot of energy per unit volume, so that you have a compact, lightweight battery pack and, and you have a long range in your vehicle. You want a battery that charges fast. You want good safety performance. And if you want a battery that maintains its capacity over many charge discharge cycles, cobalt is the best metal that you can use in a cathode. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that cobalt is scarce, you need nickel. And so the industry has moved to nickel-rich battery chemistries, mm -hmm. not because nickel makes a higher performing battery, but because cobalt is scarce and cobalt is expensive, or at least is perceived to be so. Okay. Uh, if, if you don't have constraints on raw materials, as, the, as you do in your phone and your laptop and your tablet, where you have a, a much smaller battery and the cost of the raw materials is a much smaller fraction of the overall cost of the device, mm -hmm. then you use as much cobalt as you can get. Right. So, so even with the, the high nickel batteries, a, 
a smattering of cobalt, five or ten percent or more, ideally actually you know twenty or thirty percent of cobalt is necessary for stabilizing the cathode so that you can safely charge and discharge it without degrading the performance of the battery materials. Mm-hmm. So cobalt is going to continue to be really important. And if we have more cobalt, that's a great thing. We can we can produce more high-quality batteries if automakers actually have reasonable expectation of secure supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge, of course, is, is where does it come from? And as you know, most of it comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo, because that's where there's extraordinary geology in the sediment-hosted copper cobalt deposits right. in the Central Africa. And I believe there's also a lot from China, correct? Uh, in China, actually, there, there's a small amount of cobalt produced in mm-hmm. the, the magmatic sulfide nickel deposits, particularly okay. in Xuan operates, but it's mainly the refining capacity that's in cobalt. Mm-hmm. It's mined anywhere in the world, and then the cobalt is, is sent to China and refined into cobalt metal or cobalt sulfate, which is, an, which is the precursor to battery cathode materials. Okay. Uh, so we are looking for new sources of cobalt around the world mm-hmm. uh, in a bunch of different deposit styles, sometimes co-deposited with nickel, sometimes co-deposited with copper, sometimes in a primary setting where cobalt is the principal metal. And we are we're looking for cobalt in a whole range of jurisdictions. It would be good for the world to diversify the supply base, and that is that's part of our mission. We're also looking for nickel. And nickel is incredibly important, and by mass is is something like ten times as much. Uh, there's yes. about ten times as much nickel in as cobalt in a in a typical battery. I was going to I was going to wave the Canadian flag on that because yeah, exactly that's where I live. So it could be eight you know, eight. Eight times as much depends on you know in, in an eight one one battery or it depends on the on the cathode chemistry and and nickel is incredibly important and you know there's two principal sources of uh, nickel ores there are sulfide deposits formed in magmatic systems and there are laterite deposits which are highly weathered rocks that are that are rich in in, in metals like nickel as well as cobalt and manganese mm. and iron and most of the nickel production today is from laterite sources. Uh, Indonesia is one of the world's largest producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's certainly some controversy about waste management. There's also really sure. important kind of uh, issues of, of national sovereignty and and management of mineral wealth. Indonesia mm-hmm. wants more value added production happening in Indonesia, but there's uh, the laterite resources are a lot more expensive to produce. The, mineralogy is much more diverse and complex and and harder to process. And so it's very expensive to extract nickel uh, for batteries. And the sulfide resources Mm -hmm. are much better sources for for class one nickel that's used in batteries. But there have been relatively few additional discoveries, and it represents an increasingly small fraction of global nickel supply. Mm -hmm. And you've obviously heard from, from Tesla and others about the importance of nickel and of sustainably produced nickel. Yes. So that's very much a, a priority of ours as well. So how so you mentioned about some of the shortages and that it's getting harder. So how does cobalt then help um help find more cobalt and nickel as an example? What what's yeah. your kind of secret sauce here? Yeah. So this is the, the technology here is is really exciting. Mm-hmm. There's an extraordinary amount of geoscientific data that's really underutilized because of the, the ways that ways the data is analyzed and the ways that that 
quantitative analysis is used to drive decision making. And there's a few really important aspects of this. Um, first one, you know, we're to, to set the stage of the, the difficulty of the problem we're talking about. An ore deposit is hundreds of meters to maybe a couple of kilometers in scale. And think about that relative to the land surface area of the earth. It's very small. Mm-hmm. And the ore deposits that stick out of the ground, so-called outcropping deposits, by now have largely been discovered and developed. Mm-hmm. Humans have been walking the earth and noticing anomalies, strangely colored rocks at the surface for thousands of years. And even in the, in the 20th century, there have been new discoveries or things brought into production that have been known about for a long time. Right. But we're largely looking for deposits that are undercover. They're covered up by times many hundreds of meters of other rocks. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for a, a faint signal of an ore deposit underneath that you're probing with geophysical methods from the surface or even from the air that you're probing with hyperspectral images that might be taken from a drone or might be taken from a satellite, Mm -hmm. trying to take geochemical samples of soils or rocks and looking for some little sniff of mineralization that's hundreds of meters below. Mm -hmm. And the point is that you're looking for signals that are very difficult to see by eye. And you have to use appropriate statistical methods to find these, these disguised, these buried, concealed ore deposits. A needle in a haystack, for sure, right? Yeah, that's right. And this is this is true of exploration generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, some of the challenge in 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 exploration today is is that there um, the, the means of analysis is very siloed. Geophysicists and geochemists and and geologists look at the data in different ways, mm-hmm. and they apply a number of heuristics. and And the the problem is really uncon, under constrained. You don't have enough data to make uh, really definitive conclusions. And so there's a, a number of heuristics that are applied. Mm-hmm. There are a number of of quite uh, quite technically sophisticated methods of collecting data and of applying um, applying statistical techniques to individual data sets, but these tend to get visually integrated. They all go into a, in, in, they, they used to get produced as, as you know, semi-transparent maps and layered on top of each other for right. geologists to examine. And, and typical analysis methods are a facsimile of that on a computer. There are layers in a, in a, in a GIS project or a 3D model. Um, but these are measurements that are correlated. They're, they're all, uh, they all pertain to the physical properties or the composition of, of some volume of rocks, some volume of the Earth's crust. Is it still very and, much uh, of a higher percentage than they would like a guess? A guess component. Yeah, this is exactly the this is exactly the challenge in exploration, which uh-huh. is you can make a guess, you can make a, a very informed guess, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you can drill a hole. And take out a and take out a plug of rocks and see whether or not you've got an ore deposit or whether or not you've got a suggestion of an ore deposit. And mm-hmm. uh, but on average, the industry's success rates have been quite low. Oh, okay. The typical exploration company, when drilling a uh, hundred exploratory holes, will make no discoveries at all. Really, and no so, idea. Wow. Uh, right. It's it, and so Cobalt's objective is a dramatic improvement in exploration success rates. Mm-hmm. If rather than one hole in 200 discovering an ore deposit, if one exploratory hole out of 10 discovers an ore deposit, 
will be fabulously successful. And that, wow. that is the principal objective of the company. It's to use data more effectively to improve our exploration success rate so that we find more deposits and, or we invest less capital in order to find for the ore deposits that we really need to produce these EVs. Mm-hmm. So we've got all this data, but it's underutilized. It's really messy. We got to have a system for cleaning this up and storing all of it. And that didn't exist in the industry, so we built it. And then there's a whole range of interesting statistical techniques that are uh, we're, machine learning models are obviously not not a recent invention, mm-hmm. but it's only recently that we've had access to inexpensive computing power right. so that we can apply these methods to a whole range of data sets. And ultimately, this is you know, the, the questions we're asking are not just you know, put some X's on a map and tell me where the treasure is. What we're trying to predict are the places where there are the right kind of rocks that might host the ore deposit, where the right kind of faults that might have been conduits for fluids that carried the metals before they dropped them out. Mm-hmm. Where there's the where there's uh, an, an anomalous expression of cobalt or nickel in the soils that's not necessarily the highest value of cobalt or nickel in the area, but it's unusual based on where it is. Mm-hmm. And we use statistical methods to make those predictions. And then our geologists go out in the field and make those measurements. They go sample those rocks. They provide the the data back to our data scientists to refine their models and change the prediction for where they're going to go the next day and what rocks they're going to sample. And so it's it's actually changing the way that we conduct exploration so that this integrated approach of data science quantitative methods and geoscience observations and knowledge of ore-forming processes work in this tight feedback loop and actually drive what we do in the field in conducting our exploration programs. Excellent. So that approach then, is that um, is that something that y- you guys do in exploration, or is it a patented technology and a service that you also will provide to other um, ore explorer, exploring companies? So it, the technology that we've developed is a trade secret to Cobalt, mm-hmm. and we don't sell or license it to other companies, mm-hmm. but you work extensively with other companies. Okay. And our business model is that we own mineral assets. So we either acquire them ourselves, we go stake claims and yep. then go conduct exploration ourselves, or we partner with other companies, either companies who own assets that we think are really promising. And we think a combination of the work been, that's been done to date and our technology will result in greater discoveries. Mm-hmm. And so we will make investments in those properties and acquire an interest and apply our technology for the benefit of ourselves and our partners. Mm-hmm. And then we partner with companies who have really valuable and unusual data over some region. And our model is that we use our technology and our partners' data, and we and our partner invest together and conduct exploration in areas that we think are really prospective. And that's a very different yeah. model than what other companies in the industry have. Yes. Not, we're not a service provider. We are right. we're risking our our own capital. So if we are if we're successful, we're going to reap the benefits of that. But it also changes the way our data scientists think about the problem because mm-hmm. ultimately the company is going to make exploration investment decisions on the back of our models. Yes. And so testing our models is really important. Uh, and and ultimately, you know, one of the big themes about Cobalt's technology is, is quantifying and managing uncertainty. Mm-hmm. We don't know 
there's there's much we don't know about the subsurface. Uncertainty is why we have exploration. If we yes. knew where the nickel and the cobalt were, we'd just start mining it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to know where there's uncertainty in your model and what data you can go collect to reduce that uncertainty. Improve your understanding of the subsurface. Collect the next piece of data to do the same thing and do that over and over again until you've discovered and delineated an ore deposit and then go do it again in some other part of the world. Exactly. And, you know, the success rate that you mentioned earlier um, is, is certainly a huge different than what the norm is, you know, in the past, uh, past experience. And in order to meet those supply chain demands that you and I know are going to be there at some in the not so distant future, you need to really have those kind of success rates in order to do that. Um, that's absolutely right. Ken. So it's a very <laughs> compelling story. That's thank you. I mean, if you think about the, just the demands on the industry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to get in, in 2030, you know, we're thinking new vehicle sales in 2030 might be what 100, 120 million vehicles. And you look at various forecasts, 30%, maybe even 40% market share of EVs, uh, depending upon who you ask. Pretty optimistic, but regionally it'll happen or surpass in different markets. But globally, I still think we'll be a little shy of 40, 30% maybe, maybe. Even at at 30%, that would be an extraordinary number. I think that would would represent phenomenal progress towards electrifying the vehicle fleet. Agreed. Even even with, you know, uh, a combination of just nickel-rich and lithium-iron phosphate batteries, we're talking about you know a near doubling of cobalt demand. Wow! And we're talking about you know twenty-five to a quarter to a third increase in nickel demand mm-hmm. worldwide. This is extraordinary. I mean, yeah. this is you know we don't think about we don't think about other commodities, iron ore or aluminum or copper or oil or gas increasing that rapidly mm-hmm. and, and sometimes they have i mean nickel demand has increased dramatically over sure. the last five years but this is in these that in order to achieve that it means it, it doesn't just mean uh you know, there, there's not a bunch of latent supply it means we have to go make discoveries yes and we have to bring those assets into production that's right and that that exactly as you said requires exploration efforts to be successful and to be more successful than we than we have been especially in the past decade mm-hmm. more capital than ever has been invested in exploration more in the last decade than the previous three decades combined wow and yet discovery rates are down by two-thirds hmm. well that's not sustainable for sure right we have, if we need to grow right that's exactly right and yeah. it's because the deposits are getting harder to find Wow, wow. defined deposits are the ones that we discover, and we have to get more clever at detecting subtle signals in the data, using all of the data more effectively, uh, and really understanding the uncertainty in the model so that mm-hmm. we reduce, we say reduce the false positive rate, and meaning we drill the, the holes that we drill, we need to we need to find deposits with them. Yep, I get get that success rate. So I mean, you're you're making it sound um, a lot easier. You know, obviously, this is a critical so- layer of the supply chain, the whole mining industry, and 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 you know the reliance on infrastructure for electric vehicles. It's so critical to the growth that the EV market needs to 
in order to grow, it has to happen. Why has this uh, area of the of the uh, supply chain? Why has it really kind kind of gone completely untouched by innovation? You know, up until recent times, was it because the EV market was still kind of growing in infancy, and nobody was saying, "Well, we don't really need to look beyond much more than the DRC can provide," or or other sources, as an example. Yeah, I think I you know I want to challenge the assumption that it's been untouched by innovation. There's okay. always been. There has always been incentive to discover ore deposits, mm-hmm. and some of the methods that one uses to find a cobalt or a nickel deposit, one might also use for looking for copper or diamonds or gold. So I guess I could throw my old divining rod away and not yeah. find anything with that. <laughs> right. And yeah. there, have been, you know, there, there have been really quite significant advances in some of the exploration technologies, mm-hmm. you know, really high-quality satellite imagery through yes. Through the visible end of the infrared bands, and those are those are great data sets. New um, higher sensitivity measurements for measuring the concentrations of, of metals in a, in a volume of rock or soil. Mm-hmm. And these are these are really impressive exploration technologies. And what we're talking about here is making more systematic use of large volumes of data. Uh, collecting a whole bunch of fragmentary data and getting it into systems where we can we can build really interesting predictive models on it. And um, we are we're talking about systems that allow us to use many more types of data in the same analysis. Mm-hmm. We're talking about using unstructured data. There's a lot about geoscience that is descriptive and qualitative. Um, rocks are really highly variable, and you can you can describe them in terms of how much cobalt and nickel and iron and potassium and silicon and whatnot they have in them. But that doesn't tell you the whole story. You have to look at the texture of the rock. You look at a mm. slab of granite and you see that you can tell that there are different minerals in it, but the size of the grains varies from one sample. to is, is that subject to interpretation? Uh, well, absolutely. Yeah, I and mean, yeah. this is, <laughs> you should, you know, you go read the legends of geologic maps and you read the so-called logs of drill holes where geologists are describing the rocks and they do that in words. And this winds up, uh, you know, these wind up in, in technical reports of different kinds. There's an incredible amount of this data that is, it's really rich. There's a lot of insight there. Mm-hmm. And it isn't systematically. It's used, of course. It informs the story. Um, but, uh, but integrating all of these different data types into an analysis and then working with it statistically and quantifying the uncertainty in our predictions this is only possible in the last few years based on all of modern computing techniques and available availability of, of inexpensive distributed computing yes. uh, and in and you know integration of, of largely open source but some commercial software as well mm-hmm. and so you know large mining companies are looking at this too and saying we you know we, we want these opportunities they all have data scientists yeah uh, um, but it's difficult when you have a you know a behemoth and a and a, and a, 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 a data mm-hmm. in in data systems that were designed ten or fifteen years ago, and you're trying to make sense of all of these things today, and then you're trying to put what you do in practice into practice on very short time scales. You know, it's not that you go out and collect data and then think about it through the winter and then go out the next summer into the field and make decisions on the base of it. It's that you take what you learn one day and you use it in your models overnight mm-hmm. and you redirect your aircraft or your geoscientists in the field the next day. And that yeah. leads to 
collecting different data. It leads to getting to a much better answer than what you would do with a different process. So it's really this integrated system of, mm-hmm. of the technology for storing, standardizing, and analyzing the data, the data scientists who are applying quantitative methods, the geoscientists who are applying expert knowledge of these OR systems, and the decision-making methods for how you collect data and what data you collect, mm-hmm. and, and ultimately where you put your exploration capital. It's all of those things together yes. and only become possible in the last few years. Understandable. And as you know, as I mentioned, I'm in, the, in somewhat the technology realm as well, what I do for a living. Um, so I get that. I understand, you know, technology is changing all the time. There, there new things coming out, better things, you know, it leaps and bounds. So I understand, you know, getting to a point where we can start utilizing that. And, you know, your version of Skynet hopefully won't become sentient anytime soon, but you know, it'll it'll pay off. And, you know, I think, you know, the timing for our conversation is great because, it, you know, I was certainly glued to to my TV and my monitor yesterday, you know, with, with the change in the U S administration, um, you know, that, that, that's a significant change, um, for many reasons. But when we think about the EV industry and everything around that, it really is going to become a spark. That's just going to be much more of a catalyst than it was over the last decade or so. Um, you know, building the Biden administration, you know, now they've signed joining the Paris Accords, the first thing. Um, and, you know, committed to EV charging stations, green energy projects, you know, to meet the climate goals because they're back on track with that. That's going to require a huge amount of raw materials in the years ahead. Additionally, um, you know, you've got uh, the show that I'm just about to put out on my YouTube channel, the video show. I'm featuring GM in that show and, and all the, the stuff that they've talked about over the last few months and, and last week from CES you know, now they're all in and they, they want to launch 30 models in the next five years. And that's just one OEM amongst the hundreds that are out there. Um, so part of what you said, uh, Josh, you know, getting the success rate down to a, a very positive business model approach, getting the time frame on those success rates down to, to a more sustainable time frame. Because obviously it costs money to go and explore. And if it's going to take you a year versus if you can get the same result in a week or six months or whatever, there's a cost savings to do that. So those are a couple of things that are, that are going to help you know, uh, uh, play a role in meeting those, those goals and targets that we're now going to really start seeing. What else would you say co- uh, Cobalt Metals is going to help bring to the table to help spearhead this movement? So first, let me... Uh... Let me walk back your Skynet sure. comment there a little bit. <laughs> no problem. The term we the term we use yeah. for our technology actually is discussion engine. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Okay. Not uh, we're not just hooking the uh, the drill rig up to our up to our cloud systems. And yes. say, okay, the model tells you where to go and poke a hole here. And um, we, we really want to understand the scientific insight that comes out of our methods. Mm-hmm, of course. Use that to drive our decision making. Yes. So that's really what this is about. It's about insight. It's about yeah. and, make, our- and make that repeatable as well, right? At a high degree of accuracy, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look, I think that the thing that I would, would add to the mix there is, as you say, um, the, the EV trend is global. And I would expect with the new administration's policies to see significant acceleration in the U.S. 
And though, as you point out with, with GM and, and likewise with, with other OEMs, you know, mm-hmm. Ford has said that they want to want more than 50% of new vehicle sales by 2022. And these are extraordinary timelines. Yeah, it's, yeah. You look at it, it feels yeah. like tomorrow. Uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and so it's certainly with the Biden administration won't go slower. And some of the things they've emphasized, like, you know, 500,000 public charging outlets by 2030, those are all those are all enablers. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the key really is is also responsible development of mineral resources. And, you know, you compare a mine, which is what you know, we, the results of our company will be new mines. Uh, you compare that to other industrial facilities, whether it's a, a power plant or a mm-hmm. chemical plant of some kind. And those, you know, w- when you're building a, you know, a manufacturing facility, whether it's, uh, uh, whether it's to make electric vehicles or other, or other products, you know, you, you have a lot of discretion in where you cite it. It's still not easy. I mean, you've seen, you know, the, the Tesla and their, and their German facility, obviously, even for, you know, making the, making the raw, making the EVs is, uh, is still locally controversial. That's right. Uh, yeah. With mineral resources, you, you know, you find it where you find it. Yeah, it is yeah, where it, it is. Yeah, it's where it is, and it can be quite remote. Mm-hmm. Some someone lives there, yes. human and animal, both, and so you have to, you know, you you have. There's an obligation to look in places where it is possible to develop mineral resources responsibly, and then to engage the community and to. To plan the entirety of exploration and development with the environmental impacts in mind, and this is, of course, this is not unique to Cobalt. Uh, other other natural resource companies face the same challenge, and 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 many of them do a really an extraordinary job of this. Um, but it's it is it's incumbent on us, and it's part of the mission of a company to ensure that you know, just because we're producing materials for EVs doesn't absolve us in the least of the responsibility to conduct ourselves well on all these other aspects of of development. That's a great point because that's some of the pushback that I get when I talk to people about the EV revolution and EV adoption is, well, you know, there's all these harsh things that we're doing to the environment to build an EV and the amount of carbon offset and, and energy uses and all this kind of stuff. And there's lots of good reports and data to back up the positivity side of, of EVs. They still become more beneficial, but you're absolutely right. It's something that we have to still think about. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I tell some people if they're in, in, if they're in a country that, 99% of their energy is is from burning coal. Well, I don't know if an EV is going to do much. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, right? You know, you won't have that same impact um, that you would in some a place like Canada or Ontario specific, where we're clean energy, where we have no coal. It's either wind, solar, uh, nuclear, um, you know, and uh, and uh, the, you know, and, and hydro aspects, or you know, Quebec, which is so heavily hydro, so you're very renewable. Um, so you're absolutely right. That is the side of the equation that needs to be looked at. And um, I wanted to ask, so once, once you have a discovery and it's solidified, it's it's um, proven, what is kind of the time frame once that happens to actually getting aura off the ground, out of the ground into into that supply chain in, to get to an EV battery? How long does that take? Yeah, the the distribution here is wide. Yeah, and the, there's a big there's a fat tail on the upper end. Uh-huh. Okay, 
And there's, there's, you know, there's good reasons for that. When you, when you make a discovery, well, it's lots of people, there isn't a clear definition of discovery, but if you drill a hole and you have high grades of cobalt or nickel or, or other, other commodities over a thick enough intersection, you say, okay, this is, this is very interesting. But we need to know how big it is. We have no idea whether it's a narrow tube and we just drilled down the axis of it or whether it's this kilometer scale body and we happen to just intersect it smack in the middle. Mm-hmm. You have to you you have to reduce that uncertainty by drilling further outboard of it and then filling in as you go. And there are geostatistical techniques for estimating the resource. And we we produce a you know fan of uncertainty and we narrow it as we go. So that's that's the appraisal and delineation phase that takes a bit of time. You have to put together a plan for how you're going to get the ore out of the ground, how you're going to separate the metals from the ore in your processing plant, and how you're going to get it to market. And you have to do all of this um, while operating in a community and recognizing the impact and mitigating the impact on the local environment. And there can be a lot of hurdles there for really good reasons. And this is something where force of will is not sufficient to go faster. In fact, you can lose your social license to operate entirely. (laughs) Yeah. Plenty of examples of of this happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sometimes this goes, you know, reasonably quickly. Um, You can point to in the the nickel space, for example, a couple of recent examples. Um, The Nova Bollinger discovery in Australia, uh, the deposit was found in in 2012, and it was put into production in 2018. Wow. Fantastic. It's very impressive. Uh, the, the Boise's Bay discovery on the Labrador coast of Canada is an extraordinary nickel deposit. It's just a remarkable find on the world class, truly. Um, and it was discovered in, in 1994 by a small exploration company. Um, it was sold in a quite spectacular auction, essentially, in 1996. Mm-hmm. And then it was put into production by Inco in 2004. They're okay. 10 years from discovery to production. Wow. So those are two recent examples that I would say are representative and mm-hmm. neither without challenges, but both overcome. Mm-hmm. But those are, those are realistic timescales. It's not two or three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, five to 10 is, is, a, is a reasonable expectation. And maybe you could, a little, you could go a little bit quicker in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are examples of, of putting things into production in you know, three to six years. Um, but this is the whole point is to have these materials available in 2030. Yes. These are discoveries we need to make in the next few years. I was thinking the and same thing. Yeah. And the, the long term view is really important. I think if you if you watch the, the mining space and particularly exploration, you know, the vicissitudes of commodities market spikes in, in metal prices cause lots of activity. Uh, yes. you know, when, when cobalt prices r- rose so high in, in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, there was just a tremendous amount of activity around cobalt. And everyone, everyone who could find a little so-called occurrence of cobalt, some little high grade, was you know, changing their company name to reflect cobalt. And there's an yes. amazing process of reinvention that happens in the junior mining sector. Uh, and... You know, the cobalt price fell back down as as we predicted it would. Uh, but, you know, that price incentive didn't last long enough to catalyze enough activity over a sustained period to result in a whole bunch of new resources, which, which is what we need. 
So there is this kind of big mismatch in the industry between the really short-term responses to price signals that you see uh, among small exploration companies, which make the majority of discoveries today, and the long time scales needed for developing new mineral resources. So we're very fortunate at Cobalt. We have a very long time horizon. We have we are privately held and we have investors who play the long game. Breakthrough Energy Ventures, mm -hmm. a climate technology fund founded by Bill Gates and, and uh, with an, an, a number of other tech um, tech magnates as its, yes. as its partners. Um, is an investor in Cobalt and Andreessen Horowitz, the uh, Silicon Valley Technology Fund. Mm -hmm. uh, Be Bezos is as well, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's a he's a, an investor in in Breakthrough Energy Ventures. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, you know, technology companies take a while to build and exit as well. <laughs> and yes. So our investors recognize this timeline, and that we, um, you know, that's that's the game that we're in. We take a long view. We know that there's a lot of demand for cobalt and nickel for uh, for EVs uh, and related materials, lithium and and mm -hmm. copper as well. And so we are we are making investments today uh, that will be realized on that on the on the sort of you know five to ten year time scale. And there it, there's a really important need to take the long view in exploration decision making. Absolutely, it's not like playing shorts on on the stock stock market. It's a, a completely different approach. We're getting to the near to the end of the show, but I wanted to ask you um, this question. Um, obviously, the need is there, the market is there. We understand the timelines, the processes involved in that. Um, your a personal question to you: Do you think, based on what you know, that there is enough supply out there? found or unfound, probably predominantly unfound yet, to actually take a, take this EV revolution to where you, you, you mentioned some of the targets, 2030s, 2040s, 2050s. Is there enough? Do you think there's enough stuff out there? The metals are definitely there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very little doubt about that. Yep. And not only are they there, I think we can state with pretty high confidence that they're there in high-quality deposits. Mm -hmm. There's nothing about these ore forming processes that results in them being close to the surface where we normally find them. Mm. In many cases, they're formed at significant depth and then they get uplifted and then they get eroded. And, and so they get, they get moved into the places where we can find them. Yep. So the, the metals are there. I mean, in the crust, there's, there's many, many, many orders of magnitude more, um, but it's just expensive to extract them. Mm. But there are high quality deposits that remain to be found. And the question is whether we are going to be clever enough to find them mm -hmm. and who is who is going to be clever enough to find them and that that really is cobalt's mission that's you know that's excellent and and here's our music which means we're we're hitting the the end of the show mother mother nature is good at hiding things uh you know she's pretty good at doing that stuff so it's interesting the amount of effort and skills needed to to evolve this industry to take it to that next level because it's really something that i've never thought of to, to the degree that you and I have discussed here today, Josh, as far as looking forward, we're, you know, sometimes I think like a general consumer, we just take things for granted. Ah, you know, there's lots out there and it's coming and everybody's building stuff. So we'll have no problems. But, you know, is that really the case? Um, and, and I really appreciate appreciate you enlightening myself and and the listeners on on understanding what what that all encompasses and the ramifications if we're successful 
in achieving that or even if we're not successful. Is there anything lastly you want to say about uh, about this market or about the company in closing? I, I think you covered it really well. I mean, I think we just, we have an extraordinary group of people as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just amazing scientists of, of different kinds. And I think that, uh, that the combination of really smart people from different perspectives is what is ultimately going to allow us to be successful. Absolutely. I love that. So Cobalt Metals, coboldmetals.com is your website. Um, is there a way people can follow yourself and get more information on what's going on? Uh, the website's probably the best way. That's excellent. Well, listen, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really have learned a lot. I wish you and Cobalt the best of success. Um, I will continue to follow the progress. And, you know, I'd love for maybe we could look at rescheduling something at the end of the year or, you know, when you see fit and kind of circle back and say, okay, you know, how have things progressed from the last time we put a stick in the ground and talked to this point in time? And what's what else maybe has, has evolved? How else has your discussion learning? Ah, I learned something new today. How has that evolved into into maybe beating people at chess or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> I'd appreciate that opportunity. Thanks that would again. be fun. This is really excellent. Josh Goldman, the Chief Technology Officer for Cobalt Metals. Anyway, thanks a lot again, Josh. Appreciate it a lot. All the best and take care. Thank you so much, Ken. Thanks, everyone, again for listening in. You can find all of the podcasts at my podcast site at evrevolutionshow.com. Also, my podcasts are linked to most of the major podcast players, so you should be able to download and listen at your convenience in your car or portable audio device. Uh, just please subscribe and you'll get automatically downloaded the new episodes as they come out. Please, again, everybody, uh, check out my YouTube channel to watch current videos and subscribe to that. And if you want to reach me, you can contact me via email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com or on Twitter at my Twitter handle at evrevshow. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.